There is an old story about a mystic and a scientist looking at the same tree. The mystic admires the way that the light reflects off the leaves, glistening, and the majesty of its size, the way it sways in the breeze, yet remains firmly rooted. The mystic goes right up to the tree, touches the bark, senses the connection to the root system and to the earth, The scientist knows that there are many incredible things happening beyond what can be observed with our human senses, like that if we cut down the tree, we can tell from its rings how old it is. The scientist marvels at the way in which the leaves will die and then provide more rich soil for the tree to be sustained, and that it gathers its food from the sun and the natural byproduct of of all of this, is oxygen that we need to live on. But they both stand in awe of that same tree. Coming to it from slightly different perspectives, they are amazed together by what they see. They offer some praise to all the worth that they see in this natural being. For me, my fascination of the natural world is inspired by both the scientist and the mystic in me. What is it in you that makes you pause and wonder at the beauty of the earth? I ask that in expectation that you do pause and wonder at the beauty of the earth. And if you don't, I would wonder why not. What keeps you from reveling in this splendid home that we share with such remarkable creatures? It's hard for me to be in the natural world and not be in awe. It's hard to take off my shoes in a field of grass and not frolic. It's hard to stand on the edge of a canyon and keep my mouth from falling open. It's hard to feel the sun on my face and not smile. It's hard to be loved by furry creatures and keep myself from showering them with snuggles and cherishing everything about them. It's hard to watch winged creatures fly and not feel my soul uplift. It's hard to know how interconnected the world is and not feel somewhat responsible for it. It's hard not to praise creation. This place where we live is incredible. From the smallest creatures to the vastness of space, there is so much that grabs our attention, that carries us away in wonder and excitement. Now, Unitarian Universalist communities often struggle with where our beliefs overlap, what we can all safely say we hold sacred. But this is one area in which we can find some common ground, I think. Whether we come from a more mystical or more scientific perspective, we agree that we value the natural world, I hope. Does anyone not agree with that? Good. We find beauty in the blossoms and the creatures all around us. We sing praises to nature. And sometimes we do more than just enjoy the beauty of nature and sing its praises. Sometimes we also walk the walk. And it shouldn't just be on this one day of our calendar year that reminds us to pay attention to the earth. 
by deeply engaging in our green sanctuary program, we are finding ways that our church community can show that it values the natural world and makes choices that will help to preserve it. And many Unitarian Universalists are making pledges today across the country to observe Earth Day for the next 40 days by choosing one simple yet impactful commitment to make for the Earth. Bringing a reusable coffee mug to Starbucks with you or not letting the water run while you brush your teeth. Eating locally grown food or getting your bank statements or your focus on email rather than in print. Whatever you can commit to, I urge you to consider making a pledge for the next 40 days to honor the earth, to show your reverence for this wonderful place. It deserves more than a day. Unitarian Universalists across the country are looking for new ways to preserve all that we hold so dear. How are you personally helping to celebrate creation? How are you making choices that show that you value the earth? How are you decreasing the amount of pollution you put into our atmosphere? How are you working against climate change and its devastating effects? If you have answers to these questions, and I believe many of you do, I'd like for you to share them with one another. Or write them up and we'll put them in the focus. Let us all be inspired by one another. I know that this work matters so much to so many of you and that you are creative in finding ways to engage with the issue. By sharing our ideas with one another, we are engaging in one of the central roles of religious community. Together, we create collective wisdom that is greater than the wisdom of each of us. Together, we are showing our love to this world that so desperately needs it. We are praising this earth with more than our lips. We praise it with our hands, with our heads, with our stomachs, with our wallets, with our choices, with our bodies, with our whole selves. For we have determined that the natural world, world is worthy of praise. But we are often less clear as a community of faith, what else is worthy of praise? Praise can be a hard word for us, as it can feel like it implies a hierarchical relationship. Worship has some of the same tr troublesome connotations sometimes. But in worship, I'll remind us, we merely are paying attention to what is of worth. And we praise that which is inspiring and meaningful to us. We all worship and praise something, whether we use that language or not. Whether it's science or humanity or our ability to reason or the natural world or an energy that undergirds the universe or something transcendent. We sometimes assert that one God or another, or more accurately, one aspect of God or another, is not worthy of our praise. So how do we determine which aspects or deities or aspects of deities are not worthy of praise and which are? How do we sift out what we value and what we do not? We all do it all the time. We all judge the concepts of the holy that exist in the world and decide whether or not they work for us. 
whether or not they fit our personal experience of the world, whether or not we find value in them. But how do we do it? What criteria do we use? We may have different criteria depending on our particular perspective. Our our universalist spiritual forebears use the criteria of love. Even well before universalism was a distinct faith tradition, when it was a theological perspective held by individuals within the Christian church, universal salvation was a theological perspective that asserted that all are welcome within the circle of divine love. We can track this perspective as far back as origin in the second and third century of the Common Era. And there were other theologians in various Christian traditions who asserted universal salvation well before universalism was a capital, with a capital U, began to form in, into a tradition or denomination. What was deemed not worthy of belief or of praise out of this criteria of love was the concept that anyone could be excluded from the kingdom of heaven. The notion of a God that ultimately judges our worthiness and punishes some of us to eternal torment just didn't hold up to that criteria of love. There were other criteria, though. They made heavily reasoned arguments with scads of scriptural evidence to back up their claims that their discarding of this notion of a hell where God would cast out those deemed unworthy didn't make sense. It turns out that we deem what is worthy by what we find of ultimate worth. For many of us, love is the measuring stick. And for some, love points towards something transcendent. UU minister Susan McGinn says, I yearn for a liberal religious understanding of a divine force to make sense of the world and my place in it, mainly because of one simple conviction. I am sure that I do not make my own goodness. Love comes from a source that is certainly larger than my petty ego that is always getting in my way. Yes, there is love in my family, love in my congregation, but love that is present in all these places is much larger than I am. It had momentum before I was born, and I have faith that it will reverberate in other directions long after I'm gone. This love is simultaneously beyond us, and yet it cannot exist without us. Now let me return to our mystic and scientist friends. I imagine them looking at many items and finding different access points by which they praise them. Let's say they are standing before humanity. The scientist sees the incredible ways that we bring in nourishment from our food and discard what we do not need, how our cells attack disease and regenerate themselves. The scientist marvels at the capacity of the human mind to reason and problem solve, at the endless possibility of intellect. The mystic sees boundless creativity, the ability to perceive and connect the world through our senses, how we are always evolving and growing and hardwired to serve one another. The mystic marvels at the capacity of the human heart, 
incredible, the incredible power of hope, humility, devotion, wonder. Are you beginning to see that these two figures represent a false dichotomy? How many of you connect to parts of both of these characters? They merely look through slightly different lenses, just as we all look through our own unique lenses. Yet when they look at humanity from their different values, they find the same conclusion, worth. In our adult religious education session this morning, we watched a TED Talk by Brene Brown, a social worker and researcher who studies shame. She tells in the talk about how she found two groups of people, those who were happier and those who were riddled with shame. When she looked closely at those who were happy, she found a common denominator. They believed that they were worthy, that they were enough. They believed that they were worthy of love, so they had more love in their lives. They believed they were worthy of success, so it came to them. They believed they were worthy of praise, so they received it. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But I believe it to also be true. Because all of my life experience and the life experience of many people in my life confirms this truth. Not that just if you believe it, it will come in a transaction sort of way, but that if you believe it, it bubbles up out of you. And because Brene Brown did do scientific research to come to this conclusion. And let me be clear, there are different levels of believing your own worth. I think it's real easy for us to intellectually think that we are worthy. But it's much harder for us to change our core beliefs about ourselves. So if, for whatever reason, we have come to believe that there is something wrong with us, that we are not enough, that we are not good, that we are lacking in some way, it takes a lot of work to shift this perspective. But let me go one step further. I believe that believing in our own worth allows us to appreciate the worth around us, allows us to praise one another, allows us to worship that which we see as holy, whatever that is. If we do not truly believe in our own worth, we are numbing ourselves from our lives, not allowing ourselves to be vulnerable out of a deep fear that our perceptions of unworthiness might prove true. And praise takes a lot of vulnerability. It takes being willing to open ourselves up to change and newness, it takes humbling ourselves before that which we revere. It takes the courage to be our whole, imperfect selves. It takes knowing, in our core, that what we praise is of such worth. Now, there are a lot of things that are of incredible worth, but here's what I hope you get out of today. You are of such worth.
let that truth sink into your bones. And may that truth, as it is embodied in your unique self, may it allow you to tell your story with your whole heart, to embrace yourself as the blessing that you are, to shed all of the doubts you have about yourself and allow your light to shine ever more brightly, to sing a song of praise as we walk boldly forward into the light. May it be so, and amen.